So this morning, we're going to be looking at the word for Genesis chapter 18. But before we go into that, I mean, this week has been a great week for us in the sense that serving the city of Medford, everyone who has come out to serve, we're super thankful for you all. And I know that there are many of us here that we serve week in, week out, every Sunday here. For you, we are most grateful and thankful. So I want us to examine your question this morning. How do we serve God effectively so that my service, so that your service is fruitful and acceptable to God? I'm here this morning to serve God, to serve you. But how do I serve if I don't know what God wants to tell you? Jesus himself said in John 15, 19, he said, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. So if Jesus, the Son of God, will do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing, how can I, how can you, attempt to do anything but what we see our Father doing? And how do we see that? The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, 11, he said, No man knows the things in a man's heart except by the spirit of the man inside of him. And no man knows the heart of God but by the spirit of God. There are many married couples in this house. No, no wife can say that she knows what her husband is thinking all the time. I mean, my friends, they launched this. They celebrated 15 years of wedding um, two weeks ago. Chow cannot claim to know everything going on in James' mind all the time. And the others, Frenchie, James, neither of you can say, you know what's going on in your spouse's ass. No. So we need to know what's in God's heart to serve him and to do his work. We need to know what he wants to do. We need to know where he wants to walk. We need to know with whom he wants to walk. And how do we know that? Unless he shares his heart with us. For us to serve God, for I, for you to do anything for God, we need to know his heart. We need to know his heart. So that's the heart of our um, discourse this morning. So for me, and how does that happen? So in this church, so we have what we call our CG, our community groups. And what do I mean by that? We have a bunch of people, families, friends, that gather together every day of the week, Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday, whatever day, but once a week, we all gather together to break bread, to pray together, to share the word of God together. For me, the last one year has been a life-changing one because my family and I happen to host a group. And one of our leaders in that group is John Tofik. I think he's working with the kids this morning. So John and I, positionally, we're brothers in Christ. There is a relationship. But before that, there was no fellowship. We just saw each other in church, hello, hello, hello. So there was no way for me to meet John's needs or for him to meet my needs. But as the group went on, as time went on, we became friends in fellowship. We started fellowshipping together. Then I'm able to meet his need. 
and he's able to meet my need, to pray for me, and I can pray for him as well. So as God's partners, for us to serve God, we need to know his mind. My main point today is, every true, every acceptable, effective, and fruitful service is a product of a personal, abiding, and zealous fellowship with God. Every true, every acceptable, effective, and fruitful service is a product of a personal, that's a personal, it's not corporate, abiding, that's to continue, and that's to be zealous, a zealous fellowship with God. So, to unpack this truth, we're going to examine someone that the Apostle James called a friend of God. In, in James chapter 2, I think 23, he said, Abraham was called a friend of God. So, in continuing our Old Testament series, we're going to examine the life of Abraham this morning. Abraham was called a friend of God. How did he get that appellation? How did he become a friend of God? Why was he a friend of God? Why don't we bow down our heads and pray for one sec? Father, thank you for this morning. I worship your name, O oh God. Lord, as we begin to unpack your truth in Genesis chapter 18, O oh God, would you please speak to us, O oh God? Always we do your work in our lives. Do what only you can do, O oh God. Speak to each and every one of us in Jesus' name. Amen. So, we're going to be examining the life of Abraham from Genesis chapter 18. But before we do that, Abraham was first called by God in Genesis chapter 12. In Genesis 12, 1 and 2, now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you'll be a blessing to nations. In Genesis chapter 12, when God called Abraham, Abraham was about the age of 75 years. And he left his father's house, he left his land with his wife, Sarah, and his nephew, Lot. So they left. With everything they had, they left. And as they journeyed on, so between Genesis chapter 12 and Genesis 18, the key events here were that their, their, their wealth grew so large. They had a lot of gold, a lot of silver, and they had a lot of livestock. At one point, it was said that Abraham had, that, that Abraham had 318 trained armed men who were born in his house. 318 men who were born in his house. It shows the extent of his wealth, of how blessed he was. So they grew so rich. And there were quarrels, disagreement between the earthmen of Abraham and that of Lot. They decided to split apart. Lot chose the valley in the cities where you have Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham chose to stay by the oak trees of Mamre. That was where he pitched his tent. But despite their wealth, Sarah and Abraham were childless. 
They had no child. They were childless. Then we come to this story now in Genesis 18. I'm going to read that for us right now. And the Lord appeared to him, to Abraham, by the oaks of Mamre, as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let the little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourself. And after that, you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, quick, fill these years of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the earth and took a calf tender and good, and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly, quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, she is in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. At this point, Abraham was about 100 years old, and Sarah was about 90 years old. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself and said, After I'm worn out, and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? Is there anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, No, but you did laugh. Then the men set out from there and looked down towards Sodom. And Abraham went with them to set them on their way. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and a mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have chosen him, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. So the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and their sin is very great, I will go down to see whether they've done all together according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know it. So the men turned from there and went towards Sodom, and Abraham still stood before the Lord. Then Abraham drew near and said, will, I, will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked. So the righteous fear as the wicked 
Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, If I find at Sodom 50 righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Abraham answered and said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. I, who am but dust and ashes. Suppose five of the 50 righteous are lacking. Would you destroy the whole city for lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find 45 there. Again, he spoke to him and said, Suppose 40 are found there. He answered, For the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak. Suppose 30 are found there. He answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. He said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. He answered, For the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak again but this once. Suppose 10 are found there. He answered, For the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went his way when he had finished speaking to Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. Isn't this a beautiful account of the relationship between Abraham and God? Look at this fellowship. So the point here is this, that for there to be any fruitful and effective service, there has to be, first, a relationship. Relationship plus fellowship equals fruitful and effective service. It's simple. Relationship plus fellowship equals Fruitful and effective service. And God called Abraham into a relationship in Genesis 12. So the first point we notice here is that relationship grants access for acceptable service. Relationship grants us access for acceptable service. It all starts with a relationship. Without a relationship with Jesus Christ, there is no acceptable service. Isaiah 59 verse 2, Isaiah said, Our sin has separated us from God. Our sin has made a separation between us and God. There is this gulf between us and God. And Paul said in Romans 3, 20, he said, All men have sinned, and we all have fallen short of the glory of God. There is no righteous, no, not one, not me, not you, unless Jesus Christ brings us into a relationship with God. So it starts with a relationship. Without relationship with Jesus Christ, all of our service, all of our righteousness are like filthy rags before God. And God made a provision in Jesus Christ when he gave his son for the forgiveness of sin to bring man back to himself. So Jesus bridges the gap between man and God and brings us into a relationship with God. And what kind of relationship is this? In John 1.12, it says that to all who have believed in him, who received him, he gave the right to become the children of God. Once you believe in Jesus Christ, you become a son and a daughter of God. You are a child of God. And that's where it starts. It starts with a relationship. 
Without relationship, there is no fellowship. And the next thing we see is that we see God called Abraham into a relationship. Here, in this account, in Genesis 18, we see the fellowship between God and Abraham. Let's unpack a few truths from here. Fellowship leads to friendship. As a fellowship with someone, you start becoming their friend. You get to know them. You get to know their nature. You get to know what they like. You get to know their loves and, their, and the things they hate. Fellowship leads to friendship. And in unpacking these truths, if you look at verse 1, the first thing we ought to notice is that it is God who visits us. God visits us. In verse 1, and the Lord appeared to him. It is God who shows up, knocking on his door. It is God who shows up. It is God who shows up first. In verse 5, Abraham said, since, said, since you have come to your servant, it is God who comes to us. That's how he starts. He said, no man can come to me unless I draw them. And Paul, writing to the Philippians, he said, for it is God who walks in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. It is God who walks in us. He starts with God walking in us. And how does God visit us? There is an urge. Oh, read your Bible. Oh, pray for that person. Oh, go to um, groups tonight. Oh, go study this scripture. Study that scripture. That is how it starts. That is how God visits us. The next thing we need to see here is also that. Still in verse 1, it says, God visited Abraham by the oaks of Manwe as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. As he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day, he sat down. He wasn't running up and down. He wasn't hustling and bustling, seeking this, seeking that. He wasn't anxious. He sat down at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. Are we going to be like David who said, but I have come and quieted my soul. I have come and quieted my soul. It's not so much about physical positioning. It's the attitude. It's the state of our heart. Is my heart anxious? Is my heart seeking this? Is my heart seeking that? Have we quieted and calmed ourselves to receive from God? Next thing I want us to see here is also that we need to schedule a time and a place. So the noon time among the Oriental was the time when they shut everything down. Everything stopped at noon. They dine and they just wait and they just sit still and just enjoy themselves. It's not so much about timing or place or position. It's so much about the attitude of the heart. It's about shutting everything down to receive from God, to hear from God. How are we going to be like Daniel? It was said of Daniel in Daniel 16. He said, Daniel went into his house and got down on his knees and prayed three times a day. He prayed three times a day. The Lord wants us to commune and fellowship with him continually. That's why Paul says, pray continually. But I often hear people say that, oh, I, pray, I talk to God all the time. Oh, I mean, I don't need to schedule a time or a place. I talk to God all the time. I'm so busy. Oh, my work is so busy. My work is so important. But think of this. Our Lord Jesus Christ, despite his busy schedule here on earth, he also showed us this example of shutting down and retreating away. 
In Luke 5, 15 to 16, he said, but now, even more report about Jesus went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But what did the Lord do? He said, but he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. He would withdraw to desolate places and pray. I don't think there's anyone here who has a greater responsibility or demand on their time than the Lord Jesus. And yet, he made time to withdraw from the crowds and his disciples and to be alone with his father. We see this example in him again. This is a little example of relationship, fellowship, leading to effective service. When he called his disciples in Mark 3.14, he said, and he appointed 12 into a relationship. He appointed 12 into a relationship. Why? That they might be with him. And so that he might send them how to preach in service. So there's first the appointment, the fellowship, and then the service. That's what our God wants. And the next thing we need to do is this. To fellowship, when God visits us, is we need to respond all-heartedly with everything we have to God's visitation. Respond all-heartedly. There are a few descriptors here. In verses 2, 6, and 7, we see two words that describe Abraham's response. The word run was used twice. He ran twice. Quick, quickly. Five times between verses 2 and 7, the word run quickly were used five times. Five times. I think of it. Abraham, a man, a hundred years old. It is not dignifying for a hundred years old man in the Middle East to run. No, it's not. No, it's not. But Abraham put all of that aside. And think of that. Abraham is a wealthy man. He had servants in his house. He didn't think about any of that. What did he do? He ran to the Lord. He ran all utterly to welcome and invite the Lord. Come here, Lord. Come. Come. Who cares what man thinks when God shows up? The blessed man is the one who thinks more of what invisible, immortal God thinks than what mortal, visible man thinks. Are you quick to recognize and respond to the Lord when he visits you? When you hear that still, small voice, when there's a nudge to go read the Bible and pray, are you quick to respond? In this fellowship, also think of how generous how generous Abraham was. He said he invited him to stay in verse 3. And look at the generosity of the worship. He bowed himself to the earth in verse 2. He bowed himself. He prepared cakes, calf. The calf was described was tender and good. Tender and good. He gave the Lord cuts and milk. Look at the generosity of that response. He welcomed God generously. He gave all he had. What kind of worship do I offer the Lord? What kind of worship do you offer the Lord? Do you give God the Abel-type robust worship, or do you give the casual offering of Cain? Will I, will you, be like the unnamed woman who broke the alabaster box and poured her love on Jesus in that time? 
And she poured her love. She poured the alabaster box with perfume. worth one year's wages on the Lord. And left a legacy for all generations. Or will you be Simon, the seemingly important religious man who did nothing to entertain the Lord when he visited him and he was forgotten for all of eternity? Will you be like David, who danced zealously before the Lord God, not caring who was watching? Or will you be a spectator, like Michal, Saul's daughter, who criticized and refused to worship, and she was barren and forgotten for all of eternity? Are you going to be a partner, or are you going to be a spectator? Which is it going to be? Which is it going to be? The next thing we also see here is, look at Abraham lingering, just hanging around the Lord. Look at, in verse 8, in verse 8 he said, and he stood by them while they were eating. He stood by them, he was waiting on the Lord. He was waiting on the Lord. He stood by them. He was lingering in their presence. In verse 16, it says, and Abraham went with them to set them on their way. Like, you're going, I'm going to follow you. I'm coming with you. In verse 22, when the men left to go to Sodom, what did Abraham do? Abraham still, he still stood before the Lord. He stood there before the Lord. I mean, we have some friends that come. We love them so much that the discussions will start in the kitchen. He moves on to the dining table. He moves on to the living room. Oh, as they're saying their goodbyes, they're by the door trying to wear their shoes. We're there. We're chit-chatting. Don't go. We're still talking. Next, we get to the front deck. We get there. We're still talking. Just because we just enjoy that fellowship. We get down to the stairs. Get in the driveway. We're still chatting with them. We get to the door of their car. They enter their car. We're still talking. We hold the, the, the door for them. We're still chit-chatting. That is when you enjoy fellowship with someone. You linger in their presence. You don't want to leave. You want to stay there. Abraham knew the secret. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. And at your, at your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. He knew that secret. He dwelt, he lingered in the Lord's presence. I'm not going to let you go, God. No, I'm not. Are we of those who are desperate to leave the present for a soccer game, for a football game, for a basketball game? Or to attend to other obligations in our little ratchets that has no lasting effect? Or to enjoy the presence of the creator of all the earth? It was said of Joshua, Moses' servant, in Exodus 33, 11. Anytime Moses went into the tent, Joshua would linger in his presence. He stayed back. He stayed back. My friends, let's wait on the Lord. Let's dog on him. Let's pour our love on him. Let's not be in a hurry to leave his presence. Do you just do that devotional in the morning and just forget it? Five minutes, I'm out of here. We also see that in zealous fellowship, God reveals his heart. God reveals his ways, and our needs are satisfied. In zealous fellowship, God reveals his heart, he reveals his way, he reveals his plans, and our needs, my needs, are satisfied. The psalmist said, 
God opens his hand and he satisfies the desire of every living being. Everything you need is found in God. So wait on him for it. Abraham's needs. What was his greatest need at this point? He was 100 years old. His wife was 90. They were childless. And he was worried that his servant was going to inherit everything he had. That was his concern. But the Lord said in verse 10, he said, At this time next year, I will return to you. And Sarah, your wife, shall be with child. In zealous fellowship, all needs are met. All needs are met. You don't have to ask him. Just worship generously. Just be quick to respond to him. And all of your needs will be met in him. Everything we need is in his presence. It's in his presence. It is in his presence. It is not in the Bank of New York. It is not in the White House. It is not in the government. It is in the Lord. We also see here, in verses 17 and 18, that our calling is revealed and it is reinforced. In verse 17, God basically repeats the promise he gives to Abraham when he said, in you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Our calling is revealed and reinforced. Our calling is revealed and reinforced in the Lord's presence. God's calling on Abraham's life was made known to everyone. But here we see that in intimate fellowship, God reinforces that promise. As God placed a dream in your heart, and it looks like it's been sidelined or forgotten, the way to rekindle the fire, to awaken the dream, is in intimate fellowship with the Lord. He gives the fire. He gives the vision. There many of us run out on our own to go do the work. But the Lord is saying, come back to me. Wait on me, worship me, spend time with me. I gave the vision, I will provide the energy and the resources needed to do the work. But you have to stay. You have to enjoy fellowship with me. We also see that in fellowship, God's ways are revealed. In verse 19, it says that, so that Abraham, so that Abraham, my, teach, my command is children and is also after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. God's ways are revealed. Then we know, oh, that's how God works. I better pray that way. I better walk that way. We then know his ways. Are we going to be like Moses? Oh, in Psalm 103, it says that he, God made his ways known to Moses. His acts to the people of Israel. Moses also called a friend of God. God showed him his ways. But the children of Israel, like, they said, you speak to us. They were saying to Moses, they said, Moses, you speak to us, and we will listen. But don't let God speak directly to us, or else we will die. The Lord Jesus has broken every dividing wall. Everybody is broken. We have that connection. We can go to God confidently. To partner with God. Effectively, we need to know his ways. Are you going to be a partner with God or are you going to be a spectator? Which is it going to be? Am I going to be a partner or am I going to be a spectator? Which is it going to be? How we respond when the Lord shows up in worship, that matters. It matters. So in fellowship, we see 
God visits us in fellowship. Position yourself to recognize God's visitation by seeking solitude. That's what Abraham did. He shut everything down just to be with God. Then respond, oh, after me, to God's visitation. And in zealous fellowship, we find that God reveals his heart, his ways, and our needs are satisfied. And our third point is this. Friendship. You know, we said the first has to be a relationship. Then fellowship with that relationship. And next, you have fruitful and effective service. And in friendship, friendship leads to knowledge for effective and fruitful service. Friendship leads to knowledge for effective and fruitful service. So, in the second half of this passage, in verses 22 to 33, we see Abraham offering a service to God. What was this service? It was interceding on behalf of Sodom and Gomorrah. And what did God know? What did Abraham know about God in approaching him and serving him effectively? The first thing is this, in verse 23. He said, then Abraham drew near. Abraham drew near. Notice this. God is approachable. God is approachable. James said, in James 4, he said, come, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Abraham drew near. He knew God is approachable. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. The writer of Hebrews says, let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Our time of need is not the time to go run over here, to run there, seeking help. Your help is in the Lord. Your help is in the place of fellowship. That's where our help is. God is our help. No man is your help. God is your help. He is all you need in fellowship. In fellowship. Abraham, also knowing God's ways. You know, like he said in verse 19, knowing that God, the way of God is righteousness and justice. And the psalmist said, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Abraham knew that. He appealed to God's justice when he said in verse 25, he said, shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just. He appealed to the justice and the righteousness of God, saying, God, you are a just God. You're not going to condemn the righteous with the unrighteous. What kind of justice is that? He appealed to what he knows about God. That is how we pray effectively. Approaching God based on his nature, based on who he is, based on what we know about him. In Exodus 33, another friend of God, God actually revealed himself to him, to Moses. He said, the Lord descended in the clouds and proclaimed his name, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. That is the God we serve. That is God. And Abraham, knowing all of this, he approaches God based on that. He appealed to God's mercy. He appealed to God's steadfast love. And God did not destroy. And God spared Lot. Because in Genesis 19, the Bible did not say God rescued Lot because of his righteousness. In Genesis 19, and verse 29, he said, and God remembered Abraham and rescued Lot. 
God remembered Abraham and rescued Lot. So Abraham prayed based on what he knows about God. If you look at verse 27, he said, Who am I but dust and ashes? He prayed to God in all humility, said, I'm nothing but dust and ashes. He's a wealthy man. He had 318 men, trade who were born in his house. He had gold, he had silver, he had multitude of livestock. And he called himself, who am I? Who am I? But dust and ashes. He knows God loves the humble. In James 4, 6, he says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. When I pray, when you approach God, do we go to God saying, oh, I figured it out, God. I don't have anything in my life. Is that what we do? Or do we go to God in all humility and saying, God, I am nothing but dust and ashes? In verse 30, he said, Do not be angry with me. Oh God. He repeats that again in verse 32. Because he knows God is slow to anger. He knows God is slow to anger. Abraham prayed six times. Six times. Knowing that God loves persistence and perseverance in prayer. He prayed six times, knowing that God loves persistence and perseverance in prayer. Elijah was referred to as a man who prayed effectual prayers, effective prayers. And in 1 Kings, in 1 Kings, when Elijah was praying to God, he prayed seven times, seven times. When he was praying that, that, that range before, he prayed seven times. How many times have you prayed based on what God has revealed to you about yourself, your children, your home, that difficult co-worker, that lady you see at the coffee shop? How many times have you prayed for them before giving up? How many times have you prayed? We can never pray too much. Our problem is that we pray too little. We spend too little or no time with the only person who can help us. And we tell our problems to people who cannot help us. Spend time with the only person who can help you. To reiterate our main point, every true, acceptable, effective, and fruitful service is a product of a personal, abiding, zealous fellowship with God. If you're going to offer God any effective service, there has to be these elements of a relationship, of fellowship, and then you produce the fruit that God desires. In Amos 3.7, For the Lord does nothing without revealing his secret to his servants, the prophets. God does nothing. God is always looking for someone to tell his secrets. God is always looking for people who will enable his work, who will do his work, who will carry out his purposes. God is looking for men, for women, for boys, for girls. He's looking for married. He's looking for single. God is seeking someone who might reveal the wall of righteousness that guards our church, that guards our city, that guards our land. Would that person be you? Would that person be me? God is not seeking organizations. He's seeking men that they can melt, men that they can mold, men that they can feel and use. That is who God is seeking. Will you, will you be that man? Will you be that woman? As at the beginning, 
when the Lord called out in the garden, after Adam and Eve had sinned, in Genesis 3, verse 9, for the Lord called to the man and said, where are you? Where are you? So God is calling out today, where are you? Where are you, my sister? Where are you, my brother? Where are you? God is calling out to you, where are you? He wants to be in fellowship with you. He wants to be in relationship with you. But where are you? Where are you? He's asking you, where are you? Remember the place from where you came. Where are you? You could be in one of these three. You have a relationship and there is growing fellowship. Praise God. That's where God wants us to be. Praise God. That's where God wants us to be. So keep growing. God has more. Double what you are doing. Stay hungry. God has more. Stay hungry. There are many more lands to be conquered. There are many more souls to be won for the Lord. Stay hungry. God has more. He has more for you. He has more for me. We're not there yet. Are you in relationship with God through Jesus Christ and your fellowship is weak and then your service is ineffective and unfruitful? The Lord is saying, like he said in Hebrews 12, he says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a, a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off, let us take off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Let us strip them aside and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. Pick up those weakness, those droopiness, pick them up. Pick them up right now. And let's offer a fruitful and effective service to our God. Are you here today? There is no relationship. Therefore, there is no fellowship. Therefore, there is no acceptable service to God. Hmm. Paul puts it this way in Ephesians chapter 4, 17 to 18. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the unbelievers, the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding. They are alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They are alienated from the life of God. They are separated from the life of God. As an unbeliever, if you don't know Jesus today, you are an alien before God. He doesn't know you. So there is no service that you, can ask, that you can offer before him that is acceptable to him. I want to tell you, today is a day of salvation. So do not harden your heart. The Lord is standing right now at the door of your heart. And he's saying, like he said in Revelation, he said, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat and eat with me. God is saying, open up your heart. Jesus is saying, open up your heart for me today. I will come into you. I'm going to sup with you. I'm going to eat with you. And you eat with me. He's going to give you a word he has. The Lord is knocking on the door of your heart today. And how do we enter into this glorious relationship as a son and daughter of the God who made and ruled the entire universe? How do we get into this relationship? One is this. You have to recognize that you are a sinner, like every other man, and that you are separated from the life of God. You are helpless. I am helpless. You need a Savior. I need a Savior. The world needs a Savior, Jesus Christ. 
who loves you so much that he took the punishment for your sins and for my sins. He wants to bring us back to him in fellowship, in relationship. He wants you. He's calling your name today. Anna, Ali, whoever you are, God is calling you today. Come to me. I'm knocking at the door of your heart. Come, open up. Open up for me today. The next step is this. You need to repent of your sins and accept the gift that Christ offers. It is free. You only need to turn away from those things. Turn away from them. Your old your life. And commit to following Jesus. Commit to following the Lord. Commit to Him. He wants you. Will you open to today? You want to forgive all your sins. Every single sin that you ever committed. God knows it all. He's your maker, and you can't hide from him. He's calling you into a relationship today. Will you open up for him? I want us to bow down our heads right now. When we are seated, where are you right now? The Lord is saying, where are you? Do you have a relationship and a growing fellowship with him? Or are you the one who has a relationship, but a weak fellowship? The Lord is saying, where are you? Let's bow down our hearts right now before God. Let's humble ourselves before him and talk to him right now. Are you that person who has no relationship, and therefore there is no fellowship, and therefore there can be no acceptable service? Let's bow down our heads and talk to God right now. This is where I'm at, Lord. Tell God where you are. He hears every single whisper, every silent thing you say. God hears it. Tell him right now about them all. Let's talk to God. God hears every whisper. He hears everything you say. Repent right now. Leave aside those things that beset you, those things that hold you bound. Let's leave everything aside right now. I'm going to pray with God right now. Father, I want to thank you for this morning. I thank you for the time you've given us to be here. God, thank you, Lord. For those of us that have been growing fellowship with the Lord, Father, we thank you for that. Just keep us hungry, oh God. And for those of us, oh God, who are weak in our relationship, oh God. God Almighty, help us to lay aside everything and pursue you, oh God. And for those of us that have no fellowship, God, no relationship, God, God, please accept them, oh God. Accept your people, oh God. Thank you, Father God. We love you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.